0: Hello and welcome back to Sepsis Voices with Dr. Ron. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Daniels, and joining me today is Oliver Jones, who's the lead support nurse here at the UK Sepsis Trust. Hi Ron, thanks for having me on. More than welcome. Would you like to tell me a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved?
1: Yeah, of course, Ron. So First and foremost, I'm a nurse. Um, I worked in the NHS for a number of years, uh, predominantly in an intensive care setting, Um, and I joined the charity about five years ago now, Ron, um, to help grow the support service, really.
0: Thank you and today we're going to be talking a bit about sepsis recovery, sepsis rehabilitation if you like, with a focus on post-sepsis syndrome and the ways in which the UK Sepsis Trust provides support through people like yourself. We'll also discuss some of the challenges that come with getting post-sepsis syndrome recognised more rapidly and more broadly, both in the healthcare setting and in the workplace. So let's drive straight in what are some of the common issues that
1: people experience following sepsis thanks ron well i think Ron, it's often a good place to start is to think of why some people might encounter problems and and i think to start with we kind of need to look at probably what's happening when someone has sepsis um and 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 i think we can then try and explore well, why why might people be experiencing symptoms. So so we know that sepsis largely involves the immune system and the coagulation cascade or or how the blood clots. and changes in the microcirculation or the way that the blood and uh, therefore oxygen and nutrients are distributed around the body. and this can affect the function of the cells, which in turn it might impact our tissues, our organs, and therefore our systems, which can then cause some of the symptoms that people experience. Um, And and that's very simply put, because we know that sepsis is very complex in itself and and, and largely understood. But I think kind of when we fully understand kind of what's happening when we have sepsis, it's a bit of a light bulb moment for some people as to actually yeah, that's why I might experience problems afterwards. And and I think it's acknowledging as well, not only the sepsis itself uh, can be uh, can contribute to some of the symptoms people might experience afterwards, but also acknowledgement that the very nature of being in hospital is bad for you. Um, so in terms of sepsis recovery, part of the problem is that it's very varied and there's there's not a kind of one size fits all that we can apply. So you know, if, if me and you both had sepsis, our, re- our hospital experience might be different, but also our recovery profile might might be differently, might be different as well. And there's always ex- there's always exceptions. Um, so there might be someone who on the face of it might have a, a, a very complicated hospital admission and a lengthy hospital admission, and their recovery might be relatively short. And then on the flip side, there might be someone who on the face of it has a relatively uncomplicated hospital admission now, Uh, All hospital admissions are are complicated, but you know what I mean. Um, And their recovery might be protracted and quite complicated. Um, So there there are always exceptions. And and it's commonly impacted by a number of different factors. And this can include people's age, their pre-existing health, length of hospital stay, um, if they've had an admission to intensive care, and also sometimes the type of infection that's responsible for uh, for the sepsis, and I think also genetics also will likely play a part. And I think it's important as well to acknowledge that in the early days of people's recovery when they get home, um, a lot of what they experience is kind of somewhat expected, um, and and often doesn't mean generally speaking that anything is wrong. And I think we often put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And and expect that we're going to kind of slot straight back into where we were before, and probably forgetting that we've been through a hell of a lot, both physically and and psychologically, and and sepsis syndrome. And you know, we'll delve a little bit more into this uh, a little bit later. Is or, or diagnosis of that is probably not really applicable for those people who are in those early stages of recovery. Um, so I think, I think that's important to acknowledge that you know those first few few days, those weeks. How people feel afterwards is 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 somewhat expected, and I think the other important thing to to identify is it's not just those who have had an intensive care admission. Um, some research that we did a few years ago, I didn't of over two thousand people identified about forty percent of those people didn't have an admission to intensive care, and and often the uh, symptoms that people would experience afterwards are very similar to 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 those people that. That have had an admission to intensive care, which suggests that severity of disease does might not always dictate recovery profile, um, and and maybe highlights that you know a big contributing factor is the sepsis itself, and and not just those other contributing factors.
0: Um, okay, but well that's that's really
1: really helpful, Oliver.
0: So obviously, when we go into hospital with any illness or condition or for an operation, we will expect to come out and we'll feel a bit tired and we might lose our appetite and we might be a bit fed up um, and perhaps sleep more than normally. And and that's just a normal part of having been ill and it's part of the normal recovery process. So but I also know that about well it's at least 40 percent of people who survive sepsis have symptoms persisting at one year after their illness and so yes. what sort of symptoms do people describe to you and uh, well, i suppose it's a difficult question really is there a point at which we can say this is no longer just a normal mm. post-illness recovery period and this becomes so post-sepsis syndrome yeah
1: that is that is a, a real a challenge As what is outside an expected time frame recovery, and, and you know part of the challenge is, uh, is identifying what that time frame is. And at present, there isn't a recognised kind of case definition for post-sepsis syndrome. Um, and and I think that you know we talk about this a little bit later. That that would help certainly. Um, but some of the some of the common themes to problems that that people experience. Um, it can be kind of divided into three groups, if you like. It can be physical, cognitive, and psychological. So kind of top of that list from a physical point of view would be fatigue. Um, and people are going to encounter fatigue somewhere on that spectrum. Um, from a, a debilitating fatigue where they can't maybe lift a cup of water to their mouth too where they try and go about their their normal day-to-day activities and they reach that kind of threshold where they they are forced to stop. Um, As I mentioned, kind of cognitive and psychological, and these are as important as the physical aspects. I think part of the problem with the the cognitive and psychological side is they're hidden. Um, So they're often not discussed and and they're overlooked, but all the people we speak to uh, every month will tell us that kind of these these are as debilitating and, and 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 as important certainly thank you and and of course
0: when you're talking about the the very visible signs these are the we believe it's between sort of 1 and 5% of people who survive sepsis and suffer the loss of digits and limbs isn't it and and I think we we have to reinforce within this that that's a relatively rare Mm. um outcome from sepsis and i totally agree with you and you know you deal with far more people who are recovering than i do but the people i speak to find it that you know their invisible disability is just as much of a disability uh, as the very visible and i think it really is important that that we that we reinforce it am i right in thinking that you know sometimes people are quite troubled by symptoms that many of us might think to be fairly trivial so I'm thinking of things like brittle hair do do people come to you with those issues?
1: Yeah absolutely Ron and that kind of it again is one of the most common kind of physical uh, symptoms if you like afterwards things like hair loss and skin changes Um, and like you say on their own not to dismiss them they, they might not be too impactful but once you put them all together with a whole range of things, it you know it can really be you know significant in someone's life. And um, yeah, so hair loss again is something that often people might not put down to their to their sepsis. Um, and and you know it can get to this point. Commonly, that might occur, occur two to three months after their episode. And you know, for some people, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Really, you know, think, well, what, what on earth is else is going to go wrong? Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a really common thing that people report.
0: Yeah, thank you. And and it goes along with things like brittle nails and even sort of teeth problems, including a, and up to loose teeth, isn't it? That that the, these relatively minor things are really troubling to 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 people. Um, so you've touched on this, but. Are there any real ways in which we can predict whether someone's going to develop post-sepsis syndrome or not? Well,
1: it's, it's you know, there's, there's contributing factors, um, like I said, so evidence will tell us um, things like age, pre-existing health, length of hospital stay, you know, if someone's had an admission to intensive care, um, that, that might be a predictive factor. But I also think it's important to to discuss some of the evidence and, and, and that will tell us that we have possibly three opportunities that how we can enhance someone's recovery. Um, the first one is kind of ties into a lot of the work that, that we do from an awareness point of view and kind of a pre and early hospital care and we know that the earlier someone starts treatment for sepsis it doesn't only improve their chances of survival but it can also reduce the chances hopefully of being admitted to intensive care hopefully reduce their hospital admission time and we know the less time in hospital hopefully that's going to reduce the impact of someone encountering you know a, a range of problems um the second point is ongoing hospital care and you know working intensive care run does a wealth of evidence on early mobilisation, the benefits of sedation holes and in intensive care, trying to reduce uh, the use of kind of sedation medic- medications as much, much as possible, and also a de-resuscitation. Um, sometimes if appropriate. Um, So we know these things again are going to hopefully reduce the the patient's uh, admission time to hospital.
0: And to sort of for for non-medical listeners sort of explain what you mean by de-resuscitation. To to me and I think this is a real issue in medicine across a large sphere is that you know we're very good at adding things to patient treatment but we're not so good at taking them away again once the patient starts to get better. Is that what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, so I think, again, you know, after that acute phase, you know, where someone, particularly from a sepsis point of view, might need a lot of intravenous fluid. Often, like you say, we we carry that on, and that is only going to have a negative impact on 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 people, and they might get edema, so fluid in, in, in our limbs, which is going to impact on mobilisation, uh, how we ca- how easily we can mobilise, which again is going to have a negative impact on you know, our muscles and our nerves and you know our ability to get up and out of bed which is going to further prolong our hospital stay so the shorter time we can be in hospital the better um, now the third the third part of that how we can enhance recovery is that information on discharge um and that's you know like where we come in from a support point of view and and also hopefully early referral to rehabilitation services you know including Physio, occupational therapy, maybe some psychological support. Um, but funny enough, the, the the one thing, certainly the, the lot, hundreds of people that we speak to every month will tell us that it would have made the most difference to people when they get home, is it's probably the most simplest thing, and it's just some information maybe and signposting as what I might expect and how I might feel, um, and it is. You know, really often the most simplest thing, but for most people say it's, it's it possibly be the most helpful thing.
0: Thank you, and and I think we, we need to acknowledge the reality here, don't we? You know, yeah. we you've talked about early referral to psychological support, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Is this the reality for most patients who survive sepsis?
1: Um, no, um, possibly not. Um. I think, again, you know, through my own practice, probably, and through a lot of the people that that we speak to, often people are discharged and kind of good luck, Um, you know, particularly those people, those demographic of people that don't have an admission to intensive care, Um, from an acute hospital point of view. um, Maybe the feeling is, well, we've done our job, um, and now on you go um you know there's some pockets around the country that have some fantastic maybe access to some rehabilitation services but it's it's not standardized um and it is a bit of a postcode lottery unfortunately and you know we know often accessing mental health support through the nhs there can be incredibly long wait and if people need mental health support they need it now um can't be told well I, we can see you in six 10 months.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that we at the Sepsis Trust are unable to fix, but I think it is important to acknowledge that it's a problem and a challenge. And, you know, we need to get better as a society at providing those services. Um, So most of these people, therefore, you know, they've left hospital, they've spent those sort of few weeks sort of reeling from what's happened to them and their families expect that period. But, now they're maybe, I don't know, four to six weeks beyond their um their spouse might want to return to work or might want them to help with childcare, and they simply can't do it. And and these people are going to, you know, find that their first point of contact is probably their GP, or if they've had a particular set of conditions, it might be in a follow-up clinic in the hospital. So what would you say to health professionals who are faced with someone who's
1: describing post-sepsis syndrome in those settings? What what can they do? Yeah, and I think as you, as you allude to, Ron, it largely depends on kind of where they work. It's probably going to be different for someone leaving hospital uh, compared to, let's like, say, someone maybe having a, a first touch point with their GP. And kind of primary care for people is often that first point of call. Uh, they get They get home. Maybe most people are delighted to be home and there's that euphoria. But then sometimes that realisation kicks in of well, what, what happens next. I'm starting to experience all these symptoms. Um, and the first point of call is, is often the GP. Um, so I think the, the first thing to say, again, is often the most simple thing is to listen and to validate your patient. Um, and this can often go a long way. Um, again, lots of people we speak to, they might go to a consultation and they don't feel they've been listened to, and they don't feel they've been validated. And they leave that consultation possibly feeling worse than, than when they went in. And we like to think this isn't because people don't care. I think it's just maybe they're not informed. They're not informed of actually some of the challenges that people might face when they get home from hospital after having sepsis. I think secondly, It's making your patient aware of us and the service we provide. Um, You know, it's a simple signpost or it's a simple signpost to our website or our helpline. Um, You know, we can take maybe some of that burden off uh, an incredibly stretched NHS service, you know, so we can we can help you, (laughs) Um, you know, which and most people will, will be accepting of that help.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. And, uh, you know, just one additional thing, if there are health professionals in those settings listening, one piece of research that really struck me, which which I think really brings it home, what's happening to these people was uh, a a piece of research from Scandinavia that followed up adults of working age. Mm -hmm. And it found that one year after sepsis, 57% 57% were back at work but 43% were not that's absolutely staggering isn't it these are people who are previously in full-time employment and they simply can't return to work i think we you know it it really brings it home how how bad this is so yeah. what do we do at the UK sepsis trust to help people who are
1: struggling to recover from sepsis um well i think it it's a bit of a niche service we provide really Ron, isn't it and and There are not many organisations where you can pick up the phone and speak to a nurse. And certainly, we're the only sepsis organisation like it in the world. Um, And part of the problem we hear every day, as, as I've possibly said already, that lots of people leave hospital with very little information about why they've had sepsis, what has happened, maybe and how and how you might feel in the coming days, weeks, months, etc. And this is vital um, because it, it makes sure people are informed, but it also helps people to kind of normalize and manage expectations. And that's really, really important. That's what I do every day for when I speak to people is just helping them to manage their expectations along along with feel like feeling validated. And I think if you compare sepsis to other conditions, you know, if if I'd been treated in hospital for a heart attack, there'd be a very clear signposting pathway for me. I'd been given probably given lots of resources. I'd have access to maybe some cardiac um, rehabilitation pathway. So, and and that doesn't exist for sepsis. Um, so so what we do, firstly, we provide. An empathetic and non-judgmental listening ear and and that really can go a long way for people you know having an opportunity to talk about what happened but also how you're feeling now can be incredibly helpful for some people um we provide information, we help answer questions. Uh, as I mentioned, we have to validate and normalise how, how people might be feeling um, and, and help them to manage their own and other people's expectations as well. Um, we offer practical information, support, guidance, um, and importantly, we, we try and give hope and encouragement to people because we identify it can be a really lonely place sometimes. Um, another big part of what we do run is our support groups um so we have weekly online groups via zoom and we also have a number of face-to-face groups um locate located around around the uk and our support groups are a really simple model really but can be really kind of beneficial thing for people to attend and they kind of provide a safe confidential space for people to share their ex- experiences and, and ask questions. And they work on a model of peer support. Um, and I think sometimes we underestimate the value of peer support and, and how helpful it can be to draw on other people's experience um, who have kind of walked the walk, really. Um, so in a nutshell, it's a bit of a kind of summary of of, of what we do
0: yeah, and and I think the the only thing i'd I'd add to that, and I, I think you're 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 um, obviously much closer to this than I is is some of the written resources that we can provide to people that that can help them in other aspects of their life. And I just want to come on to that because we've got so much support options available that that involve connecting people with others with similar experience, involve the the fantastic support and advice that you and your team. Offer, but you know what are some of the challenges that um, the people we advocate for face in their recovery? How how, how does it impact on their lives, and, and and what problems do they come to you with that perhaps are less clinical?
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, and, and you, you you're right, and it, I think it ties in not just managing our own expectations, is managing the expectations of others, whether that's uh, a, you know family, friends. Uh, employers, you know all these things, and it, and it's all kind of part of that that mix. And 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 certainly from from a sepsis point of view, um, often people might not have experienced sepsis before, so they don't know. Well, how is this person going to going to be afterwards? And family members and loved ones might not understand um, how sepsis survivors may look, and 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 often people might look well um but not feeling well um and and certainly in that case we certainly encourage people to signpost their family members their employers um to us to our resources um and like you say ron we we have a, a a suite of resources really um which are aimed at you know certainly family members um employers and some really practical information and guidance there for people um and we also encourage people, as, as difficult as it as it can be, is to be as open and honest as you as you can be with those around you. Um, you know, we say this this isn't your fault. You know, you you you're doing your best. And 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 often when we when we let other people know we may be struggling, it kind of gives those people an opportunity to to step up and offer support. And 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 if that happens, it's kind of accepting that support. I don't think we're very good generally. Um, I'm not. Of, of asking for help. Um, and then maybe if it's offered, not not accepting it. Um, so I think, you know, the other thing we encourage people to do is to maybe take some of our resources down, you know, if you're having a GP consultation, or or, or follow up appointment, you know, take maybe one of our resources down with you. Um, and, you know, we speak to people that have done that. and. Often that healthcare professional has been in- incredibly open, you know, to learning about that and think, well, this is fantastic. I-, I didn't know this this was available. Yeah, thank
0: you. And and and
1: and that's important.
0: And that, I think it is important also to acknowledge that we we have some limited availability of financial advice for people who perhaps are self-employed or who work with a small employer who can't support a long period of sick leave um, through our printed resources, um, uh, as well as, you know, advice and duties of those employers in these situations. So, uh, you know, this is hugely important. The only thing I'd I'd add is that I I think health professionals like, like me, and as you were, who are working in hospital, we probably need to get better, don't we? And there will be some of these health professionals listening at reminding people on discharge and their families that this is a life-changing illness and it might not be permanently life-changing but they're not going to be returning to work or most people are not going to be returning to work in a couple of weeks time they're not going to be helping with the childcare or helping look after the grandchildren in a couple of weeks time they might not even be able to contribute in the normal way to their own personal relationships in a couple of weeks time and I think we need to get better at communicating that to, to families yeah. and patients, don't we?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that comes from that, just managing your patients' expectations and saying, look, you know, it's very common that you're going to get home and you're going to experience lots of new limitations. And and hopefully this this is a temporary phase and, and you know, lots of people do return back up to their kind of pre-sepsis uh, self, if you like. But most people we speak to are very surprised by how they feel for you know a period of time, and um, and again probably weren't anticipating to feel that way.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And you know a take-home message here, as well as we health professionals in hospital getting better at describing to patients that um this is going to take a long time and it's going to impact on their lives for a long time Mm. we we you know we need to encourage health professionals outside hospital to to become more aware of this but we, we we also need to recognize that this early recognition and that's a partnership between a public who are aware and know how and when to access healthcare and health professionals who think sepsis we don't have the data to support it but it seems Barnstormingly obvious to me that if we recognise sepsis earlier, treat it earlier, and stop people becoming critically ill with it through that earlier treatment, then we're going to positively impact on the recovery profile as well as save lives. It just seems so obvious to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And kind of, we're not very good at measuring that, are we? On, I think we're good at measuring maybe, you know, how many people survive and don't, but. You know, is survivorship enough? And yeah. of course of course, you know everyone I speak to is delighted they've they've survived. but you know we're not very good at measuring, okay, well, what happens after three months, six months, nine months, you know, two years, you know, and and I think we need to get better at measuring that, yeah. and 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 I think um,
0: It would be remiss of us not at this point to to mention and honour, you know, those very small number of people who've been so troubled by their lives after sepsis that they they haven't been able to continue. And, you know, our thoughts with them and their families, Um, you know, we've touched on this. sepsis isn't recognised as a disability in the UK by a lot of insurance companies and a lot of insurance providers Um, and so people can find it difficult and we don't Mm. need to spend much time on this because this is not an enormous part of what we do with a charity but what are the non-clinical things we can help with and the non-clinical signposting we can assist with?
1: Yeah and it, it, it is a challenge you know and in an ideal world there would be a very clear Case definition and, and a clear diagnostic criteria for, for postsepsis syndrome. Um, and you know, some 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 people do come to us and they've they've been given that, that, that diagnosis of, of postsepsis syndrome. Um, if it's not recognized or validated, then we would maybe often encourage people to try other avenues of more widely recognized problems that can be kind of part of the, the postsepsis syndrome picture and post sepsis syndrome is a kind of an umbrella term really um, that that will describe that a variable set of ongoing issues that people might encounter and commonly things that are more widely recognized that might make up that are things like chronic fatigue syndrome and maybe uh post-traumatic stress disorder often um or or anxiety disorder so i uh, think if if people are kind of struggling to get that validation of sepsis syndrome it's maybe taking a step back and actually can can you look at other some of the more individual e- elements um and and maybe hopefully get get some more access to some support that way
0: absolutely and look at the time of recording it's it's april 2023 and we are all aware, and all listeners will be aware, that we are just over three years since the first cases of COVID-19 started to flood hospitals in the UK, and and we recognise how significant a burden that pandemic, I want to say was really, because I think we're seeing very few admissions to hospitals now. But shortly after we recognised the illness of COVID-19, and in fact in April 2020, shortly After the pandemic really hit our country, a group of patients came together to form an action group and and coined the term long COVID as a term to describe the disabilities that people were experiencing after COVID 19 illness. Did this surprise you?
1: Um, No. Um, I think, you know, understandably, um, you know, it got a lot, a lot of attention. Um, but the kind of people that were, had been experiencing kind of those range of problems after sepsis kind of approached us and kind of felt, you know, why should these people maybe, you know, get all the attention? And, and we've been, you know, struggling with these symptoms for, for for a long period of time. And and kind of you and I both know that you know, although there are some subtle differences, um, a lot of the things that people might experience from a long COVID and a, a post-sepsis syndrome are in, are incredibly similar. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and in fact, there's
0: scientific literature out there. And, you know, some friends of mine in the Global Sepsis Alliance reviewed cases across Europe and found that for people with long with COVID-19 in intensive care around 80% had sepsis as well so it it really didn't surprise me at all and I think what we need to do as a charity is to harness the mm. rightful attention to long covid and ensure that we try to lobby for a greater provision of resources to people who survive sepsis whatever the underlying bug is that causes yeah. it
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: So, Oliver, I I just want to say an an enormous thank you. I I think this has, you know, given a wealth of information for families, for survivors, for people bereaved by sepsis, as well as for health professionals and broader society. So I think it's been really important. That is all we have time for today. But I, I really hope and I know Oliver really hopes that you've enjoyed listening to our discussion on rehabilitation and recovery from sepsis and post-sepsis syndrome. And remember, if you or someone you know is experiencing issues with sepsis recovery, you can get support via our website at sepsistrust.org. Thanks so much for tuning in to Sepsis Voices. We will of course be back next month and we shall hopefully see you then. Thank you.